Welcome to Cognation. I'm Joe Hardy. And I'm Rolf Nelson. On this episode, we're going to explore our flawless predictions for 2021. So we're revisiting our uh, our role in last year's predictions for the 2020s, and we decided that uh, maybe we'll make it an annual thing. Um, so get some of our predictions out there. And uh, since we were so amazingly correct last time, I think you'll be interested in, in what we have to predict this year. Yes, so our, this, and this, this is a little bit different than a whole decade of predictions. So maybe we're not predicting such big things, but it's more sort of, you know, things that could happen within the next year or so. Right. Absolutely. And I don't know, Ralph, for, about you, but for me, I, I found this exercise a little bit more challenging, actually, than the decade one. Is that because it's just a year, so you can't look as far out into the future? Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, Bill Gates has that famous quote, most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. And I think mm. that sort of relates to this. A lot of things can happen in 10 years. Uh, and Maybe at one, different times during that 10 years somewhere. Right, you yeah, you don't exactly know when, when in that 10 years it's going to hit. That's it. Like I kind of feel really good about most of the predictions that we made in the especially like the CRISPR chips. Yep. Yeah. I mean the, I think yeah. we're I think we're headed in that direction. Absolutely. <laughs> so we know that that's going to happen. Okay, and, so how do you yeah. want to organize this? Um maybe let's so go back we, and forth. Maybe you give me your your one and then I'll give you one and we can kind of go back. We'll do five each. Okay, so we have not heard each other's predictions in advance. So this is going to be as shocking to each of us as it is to you. <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh let's start with uh first prediction. Do you want to start with the first prediction, Joe? Sure. I'm going to start with uh, kind of a boring one, but I feel like it's important just because it frames everything else that's going to happen this year. And I'm going to predict that the pandemic, pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic will be squashed by the vaccine and life will go somewhat back to normal. And this is a prediction for this podcast because it does relate to cognition in some way. And specifically, we had an episode, this is a callback to our episode 26 with Joshua Ackerman, who's a professor at Michigan. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that was a good episode. Yeah, that's a good one. If you haven't listened to that one, I don't think a lot of people did listen to it because it was it was in March and a lot of stuff was going down. And it was a kind of hard to focus on mm-hmm. a cognitive science podcast. But he talked about the behavioral immune system, which is basically your cognitive response to the perception of threat of illness. So we all know that like, if you see someone's coughing and sneezing and sniffling, you're going to try to avoid them because you don't want to get sick. Uh, and you've always got that going on. And so he talked a bit about the kind of cognitive processes that go on in the behavioral immune system. And one of the things that came out of that was that one of the things that occurs in the behavioral immune system is that you, especially when you feel under threat, uh, in this case, under, you're really under threat of disease, that it causes some in-group, out-group dynamics that might re- lead to more racial, cultural, et cetera, type bias. And God, we that, predicted that, 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 now that sounds prescient, honestly. Yeah, right? And we, and we predicted at the time uh, in March that you would see a flare-up of some of this you know, in-group, out-group discord in our society. And my prediction is that as the as we are able to come back together a little bit and, and our behavioral immune system uh, kind of gets you know, quieted down a little bit, it may offer an opportunity for some 
some healing along those lines of some of these in-group, out-group biases. But I think there's also going to be a lot of it is going to remain and a lot of the after effects. That's the way, that's the problem with, with these cognitive biases is that they're you know, persistent. They build up they're very over persistent. Time. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's hard to undo them. So I, while I, I, the prediction is that there will be somewhat less of that acrimony that, you know, um, in-group, out-group, cultural, racial, et cetera, um, stuff going on by the end of the year, it's still going to persist in some of the effects that we've seen from this pandemic and from just all everything going on. We'll, we'll yeah. see there. Well, clearly what needs to happen. So, I mean, if we're envisioning the coronavirus ending, everybody going outside and enjoying fresh air again, I think we need to get everybody playing on the same playground again and, and playing well together, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Literally and figuratively. So I'll read my first prediction, which is startlingly similar to yours, actually, because you know, there's no way to get coronavirus off the mind, right? It's it's um, everywhere. So my prediction was pretty simple too, which is that coronavirus is going to be eliminated. Maybe this is wishful thinking. Coronavirus is going to be eliminated by the time it's nice outside. Hmm. Well, I think nice outside depends where you live, though. That's totally true. So, so you true. live in Providence, Rhode Island. Well, I'm talking. This so is it, this is it, egocentric. So I'm talking. It might about, be like late July. <laughs> right. Right. When it's nice out for me, that's when I'm ready for coronavirus to be totally finished. I feel that's like right. then, yeah, yeah. I mean, I live in Northern California. It's gonna, be, it's gonna be, you know, it tends to get nice here, like really, like. That's right. Late it's probably March. nice there now, isn't it? It's not. It's pretty. It's not terrible. Not terrible. Yesterday was gorgeous. Yeah, we we need rain though. We really need rain. Anyway, so that so any any more to that prediction? I don't have much more to say about it. That's just kind of wishful thinking. I don't have any real particular insight into the into coronavirus and i don't claim to so um yeah well that's good i mean we I, i'm glad we're on the same page there we want coronavirus is going to be done we're fucking done with it <laughs> we're yeah. just totally done with it we're over we it. are done we are done with it yeah yeah okay so I what's your number two number two prediction number two all right so this is kind of a, a different thing but i'm saying that cognitive science in 2021 is really going to come to the forefront and be acknowledged as one of the most important sciences out there. Now, what do I mean by that? In the 1990s, President Bush declared the 1990s the decade of the brain. And I think that the 2020s are going to be the decade of cognition. Decade of, decade of cognition. It's a, well, that's it a decade-long one, but no, we have yeah. to... So, so, what, so what's a signal of um, the rise of cognitive science? Right. So, I mean, a few different places where, where I see this coming to, into play, and I'll try to work a prediction into here, but you know, I kind of just want to frame it a little bit. Some of the places where you see cognitive science really taking hold and taking root as being extremely important to, especially innovation, but in general, a lot of the things that are happening in our society. Artificial intelligence is one. And we've talked about this on the show before. Artificial mm -hmm. intelligence has its roots in cognitive science. That's where machine learning grew up out of neural networks, understanding, can you make a machine that, that is smart like a brain? And there's just nothing in technology that's more important right now than artificial intelligence, with the possible exception of CRISPR. But, right. you know, let's say within, you know, the, you know this branch of, of, of sciences, like artificial intelligence is huge. And I, I think that the cognitive science aspect of that is becoming increasingly understood to be important. Other places where you see it is like the behavioral algorithms on social media and online marketing. 
Mm-hmm. Those are fundamentally cognitive science algorithms, cognitive science problems. How do you capture someone's attention? What are the things that are going to capture that person's attention, get them to click on something? So my prediction, my specific prediction for the year is that the understanding that that the cognitive science is to the level now where we can we can manipulate attention so uh, effectively, quantitatively, statistically, that it's a, a technology that needs to be regulated. So I believe that there will be regulation that specifically targets the allocation of attention in some hmm. in some specific way. And I think this speaks to just the the, the preeminence that cognitive science is uh, is gaining in our society. That's crazy. That's a crazy thing to think about. I know there are, I mean, we think more and more of attention as a quantifiable thing and something that, you know, we want to get for market share. It's monetizable too, I think is the big thing. So I guess what you're predicting is that because attention is monetizable now with these kinds of technologies that, you know, it's going to explode. I mean, that's a good reason for any technology to explode is when it becomes worth something. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And as the, as the market value of these cognitive science algorithms and understandings grows, you know, it's important grows. And uh, also, you know, ultimately there will be a need to have some regulation on it. I mean, we can't just have Mark Zuckerberg deciding, <laughs> you know, what everyone sees all the time. Doesn't, that doesn't make sense. All right. So let's see, I'm going to, I'm going to jump into, I'm trying to limit anything related to coronavirus and also to, everything that we think about 2020. So I'm going to try to move away from that. A little <laughs> We're bit. moving the forward. One, We're done. The one, the one that I had is sort of, I'm thinking of kind of the elasticity of behavior after COVID. And I was thinking new craze. I'm going to predict this. This is going to be a new craze is crowded parties, crowded Ooh. in quotation marks. So are you going to that crowded party? Like, yeah, there's going to be like, you know, 300 people in a tiny room. <laughs> Everyone's just going to be like stoked about just being crammed together in a small just space. Just cramped together, like the worst cramping you've had in your life. People are itching for that. I think that's what's going to happen. There'll be crowded bars. There'll be crowded parties. It's going to be uh, a new thing. I, I like it. I mean, I, I'm I'm interested to see how my mind will react to that. Do you think um, you mean uh, right? So after all that apprehension at getting near people, is it is it that you want? you want contact or is it that you're it's going to take a little time to get back into i'm really excited for parties in general i mean i am excited for parties too yeah i mean if you guys if someone's throwing a party like please invite me i'm, I'm you know after this is you know I, I, after you know it gets nice out and, and, and corona's gone uh please invite me because i, I i'm all down for parties now um yes. I'm not, i haven't always you know sometimes i am sometimes not but right now i'm totally excited for that and, yeah, uh, my my extroverted self is dying to get out a little bit now. But yeah, in terms of the question of like actually being, you know, rubbing elbows literally with people, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I'm sure. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how long it takes to to just like get back into the groove of that. How that will feel. I think some people are going to be just stoked for it and are going to just dive right into it. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Cool. Crowded parties. I like it. I'm looking forward to that. All right. So your number, okay. So you're number three. Number three. 
I think that in 2021, we will see at least three new algorithms in radiology that qualify for direct reimbursement for reading scans. It's a very Whoa, okay. specific. Uh, unpack that a little bit. Okay. Yeah, it's a very specific one. You know, as I've kind of, you know, after my very vague number two, which I think is the most important one, by the way, of the things that I predict, but it wasn't as quantified. Number three is sp- very specific. So last year in 2020, uh, there was a company, Viz AI, full disclosure, I worked for Viz AI for, Viz AI for a time and I no longer work for them. I don't own any shares in them. And we will cover all companies as we would cover any company, irrespective of our uh, relationship to them. But I just happen to know about this thing, which is that they were qualified for uh, what's called a CPT code, which is basically like a, a code that use, is used by insurance companies as the standard. It's, it's based on like Medicare. They basically get paid every time their algorithm, their artificial intelligence algorithm reads what's called a CT angiogram. And it basically is looking for these strokes, these big, large vessel occlusion strokes. And every time their their algorithm just reads a scan, they get paid. And it's like over a thousand bucks. It's a lot of money just for a, literally uh, the ones and zeros to flip around in a, in a, a GPU to come up with a, a you know a prediction a result uh, for what's going on in that scan, so it ends up being that there's a huge economic incentive to build these algorithms now if you can get that kind of reimbursement. And I predict that there'll be th- that's the first one that I'm aware of in radiology. I predict there'll be three more this year, and it's going to kick off this wave of intense activity, which is already ongoing, but it's just going to really super intensify to y- to use artificial intelligence to read all kinds of different scans in radiology. You're going to see it in immunology as well. Uh, but, you know, really the first place you're going to see it really, really take over is radiology. And it's going to fundamentally transform the role of the radiologist and just generally how things work in a hospital. Okay, now that's a great, super specific prediction. Um, but it sort of points to other kinds of growing trends, I suppose, too. Um, we talked to, when we were talking earlier, we had another episode uh, when we were talking to Brent Stansfield about uh, medical education and um, what doctors are doing out in the field, too. And one of the things that he pointed out is doctors end up doing a ton of bureaucracy. You think they should be spending time with patients and doing all the things that doctors do, but they you know, they end up having to manage all of these programs and algorithms when what you want to do is reduce the cost of medical care. Um, so something like this, I don't know, what do you think? Is this for the, is this for the good of the, of the medical profession? I mean, it's cutting down on work, so you would think it would be, right? Well, I mean, I guess I think the different algorithms and the different systems will have differential effects depending on who you are and where you are in the system. I mean, uh, Especially if you're uh, if you're a tech, let's say you're a, uh, a radiology technician, your job is getting much harder. You've just got way more systems that you have to manage. It's kind of getting more interesting in a way as well, because there's more t- that you can do. There's more that you do do. But 
yeah, it's it's becoming more complicated, and the training is going to be need to be more intense. Um, and in general, that's that's the case in in medicine, right? That the people on the front lines are get who don't get paid nearly as much as doctors are increasingly having to do more and being expected to do more. And I think there's a fundamental unfairness there um, that I hope gets rectified, but I will not make the prediction that it does this year for sure not, but hopefully at some point. But for, you know, for the actual, like, for example, in the, exa- the, the example of the uh, CT angiography algorithm that I mentioned, that definitely makes the surgeon's life better no doubt, and more profitable um, because they are able to get, they're they're able to identify more of these large vessel occlusion strokes, which they can operate on. That's the the key point of this whole thing is that these are strokes that with with a very intense procedure, you can remove these clots from the brain using a catheter that you stick up, uh, through the a significant proportion of the whole body, but anyway, it's crazy. Uh, it's a well that pers- well that definitely sounds like something that would be sort of an unambiguous good, I guess. Yeah, um, I mean, so you can do more of those surgeries, and then more of those people live, and they have not only do they live, but they have more useful life and 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 flourishing life ahead of them potentially than they otherwise would because there's less of their brain is dying. So that uh, yeah, I mean that one. This is kind of like an unqualified good, I think. Well, I guess it depends. Uh, um, presumably, it's it's getting rid of some of the drudgery of work, right? Like, I don't know how much radiologists enjoy looking at scans. Yeah, Maybe I mean, they unfortunately, they still have to review all those scans. They still have to do that. It's just that this this sort of introduces a, a way of uh, it's a kind of triage. It's a kind of way of putting certain things to the front of the line. I mean, still at the end of the day. For a while, it's going to be the case that every single scan needs to be read thoroughly by a radiologist. Like, there's just no, but it's just the timing of that and the intensity of like the timeliness of it is is a little bit alleviated if you can get an algorithm to sort of bump certain scans to the top. Cool. Well, that sounds like a very promising and happy and optimistic prediction. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think so. I think I mean, I think that, I think that's going to be that's going to be a good one. Cool. Okay, I'll move on to my prediction number three. Number three. And I have decided to go back a little bit. I'm going to do some retro predictions because, you know, when I thought about predictions for 2021, I thought, okay, what happened in 2020? Okay, first of all, I'm not really sure, but there were two things that happened. Donald (laughs) Trump and coronavirus, right? So I don't want to make further predictions about those. Um, So I'm going to go back to like uh, futurist style predictions. I'm going to say that this is the year, 2021 is the year that Elon Musk finally invents a practical jetpack for all. <laughs> we had we had a big we had a big debate about jetpacks and and drones and flying cars on on our 2020s. So, all right, so bring and this brings up the, the the question, what do you mean exactly by this statement? Like be very specific. Oh gosh. Um what like just unpack it. Like what is all right, it's going to be a jetpack that doesn't look like a jetpack that we thought it would. First of okay. all, that's the only thing I know. It has some sort of revolutionary new blade or something in it that that it's like a new blade made by Dyson or something that um, 
that gives it you know a hundred like times more power because some, some engineer yeah exactly yeah it's essentially a reverse vacuum cleaner <laughs> um it's a so, very strong leaf blower <laughs> yeah it's like a very strong leaf blower so it's not so it's not burning rocket fuel or any of that bad stuff it's just got you know let's see what's the range i don't know the first it's like it'd be like a segue i guess you could you know you could you know go, how successful those were the first ones like the first jetpacks are going to be just fun like you can go like 50 yards or something in them hmm. yes and then yeah i see no You're talking about this is this. this is real <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds reasonable <laughs> um yeah so something that looks kind of like a drone or something Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I, I'm envisioning when you and say it can, that it'll be called it. It'll be called a jetpack, whatever, it, whatever. Yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I what I'm envisioning when you say that is uh, Inspector Gadget. Uh huh. Where he has that little helicopter thing come out of his hat. Yep. That's yeah, yeah, like, something yeah. like that. So not exactly like a Boba Fett style. Um, yeah. Jet I mean, for but... me, it's not a jetpack if it's not like Boba Fett style. Well, it, that's why it's got to be mean, Mandalorian be... style. Right, it can't. What is it? The Phoenix, like a, the, the the Order of the Phoenix, or something like that. The Order of the Phoenix. Have you watched The Mandalorian? I'm about halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah maybe maybe you haven't seen that part yet. But anyway, they they, they get more into the jetpack thing. Well, maybe. I mean, The Mandalorian could be a catalyst for this sort of thing. I mean, it could be. It's getting people me fired up about it. No, I mean, just talking about it honestly with you right now is getting me fired up for it. Well, that's always the case. Whenever you talk about jetpacks, it just yeah. it gets people pumped up. It's a it's a winner. It's a winner. So in that in that sense, my prediction is just a shameless, um, just a shameless uh, way to get more listeners. <laughs> that's right. Okay, so that's my that's my number three is going to okay. be a new practical kind of jetpack. All right, we we'll we'll, we'll check back in and. and uh... December thirty first. We don't have to necessarily do fact checking on these. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like I was gonna say, I'll, I'll, I'll jetpack over to you, but I, I don't think we're not talking about that type of range right now. Yeah, not that sort of range yet. No. Okay. Well, this could be like the last mile range. It could be that you know the right. You could have delivery, like Amazon could be delivering by jetpack rather than by those vans that are everywhere. Well, this is a good thing where if, like, let's say you're in traffic and you're self-driving car. Mm-hmm. And we've not heard a lot about self-driving cars in 2020, have we? No, but there will be a lot in 2021. I didn't make a specific prediction because of the, you know, the 10-year problem. And we, we talked a lot about this in our 2020s thing. But, like, mm-hmm. there, 2021 is going to be a big year for self-driving cars. You know, I just, it, it has been quiet in 2020 you're right mm-hmm. but, but people aren't driving no, a lot of people are driving they're driving. going anywhere people so it's not a topic thinking yeah. about it yeah yeah exactly people aren't going anywhere so it's not a topic right now nobody's buying new cars and yeah but i mean for example what we talked i mean in the 2020s uh episode we talked that like the first like you know sort of like jetpack drone like self-flying situations will be will happen in, in las vegas yes and i noticed that that Lyft on their website, when you go to their self-driving ride uh, page, has a big picture of Las Vegas on it and a self-driving car. Are they functioning in Las Vegas now? They are. Do they do that? 
yeah. and do that. So if you want to, if you want to get a self-driving lift, you can go. There's a few different places where they're they're happening. Vegas is one of them. It's perfect, right? It's like everyone's drunk. No one should be driving. Yeah, no one should be driving. That makes perfect all. sense. It's and, a theme park kind of thing, right? Yeah, it is. It's, it's like a ride. It's like a theme park ride. So so the perfect place for that to start. And I think in Vegas, that's a prediction. Like a, a significant proportion of uh, well, first of all, Vegas, as we've you know, is going to be big in late 2021. Yeah, right. People are going to Vegas. That is a thing that is going to happen. Um, flights to Vegas are going to be expensive in like October, November. Uh, and then like when that. you get there, you're going to be able to take a, a self-driving lift, and people are going to want to do that because yeah, that's yeah, cool. So my prediction number four has to do with some of these it relates to some of these things we're talking about here, which is that. Work from home is here to stay, but there will be a lot of conflict and discussion and just, yeah, it's going to be a topic for people to sort of work out with their workplaces in 2021. Okay. So what does that mean? It's here to stay too, though, because so let's put it, mean it, it most yeah. people are going to be like, like, okay, whatever percentage of people like you and me that are now working at home and we're formerly working at an office and we're likely to return to some office would make the decision to just stay at home. I'm going to, um, I'm going to put you know, it this What percentage way. of people are going to be doing that? Good question. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to say this, Let, let's put it in quantitative terms and I'm just making this up right now, but I'm going to say, you know, just one out of one day out of five. So t- there'll be 20% more people, on a day-to-day basis, on any given day, 20% more people working from home in 2020, in late 2021, let's say, say uh, October, like October 2021, which you think, you know, things will be on pandemic under control and it's not holiday season. So October 2021, there'll be 20% more people working from home than there were in 2019. October. Under the assumption that they're not working from home because of the virus anymore. That's right. That's right. Now, if the virus is still there and we missed our other predictions, then, you know, all bets are off because it's not a fair comparison. But um, I think that 20% more. Uh, and it relates, you know, in, an, in a weird way to something that I've been noticing. And it's not really a prediction, but it's, I think, more of a, like a, just a topic of conversation for us, which is how traffic patterns and transport in general are changing. Because, hmm. you know, you would think that with all that's going on with, you know, people not going anywhere and, and all the self-driving cars and everything, that traffic should be getting, and people staying, working from home more, and in general, traffic should be getting better. But I believe it's the case that actually traffic is going to continue to get bad because of a couple things that are that are kind of sort of like related uh but kind of contradictory patterns. Like one is that what you just mentioned about Amazon. There's so many Amazon vans on the road. And there's so many, so much just stuff being shipped, goods and goods, like, you know, consumer goods being mm-hmm. shipped on the road where people used to go to a central location to get it. I think it's going to have, it's going to continue to have like a, you know, a negative impact on traffic. And then you've also got all these lifts and, and Ubers roaming around and they're going to, now they're going to be like, you don't even need a driver. So it's going to be, they're going to be everywhere. And 
in this, there's going to be this awkward period where there's going to be so many cars and like a lot of them without even drivers. So there doesn't even, you're not even paying anybody to be in there. Um, so many vehicles on the road and that the systems of coordination are not yet instituted. That's going to be just a fucking mess. So it's chaos for a while until people figure out how you, how you coordinate between cars and, and sort of get it made more efficient instead of just bumbling around and that's right. And a lot of different companies having their own systems and proprietary technology and all that stuff. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that that will actually put further pressure on the work from home thing. Well, I like the specific 20%. I mean, that Mm -hmm, seems mm -hmm. like a, Mm -hmm. yeah. So we got a couple of specifics in there, but uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. See how it goes. Could be okay, everybody so wants to go back to the office. Maybe they're just excited. Maybe maybe like everyone's just like stoked to be in the office. Who knows? I don't know. That's a great question. I'm I am kind of stoked to be in person. I want to be teaching in person because I have to say, you know, there's plenty of good qualities of Zoom, but it just is no substitute for teaching in person. And I don't think it's ever going to be something that I would choose to do again. No, I, I mean, mean it's different for different professions. I can imagine, like if if you're in banking or something, or you know, professions where you're where you're not, where uh, personal contact isn't sort of the primary point of it. I can imagine people. So it's gonna. I'm sure it would vary by sector. And you know, another thing that might affect it a lot too is um, personality types. I mean, this is a yeah. this is an opportunity for people who are maybe more introspective, um, a little more introverted to have the option of working at home if they want to. If they find they're loving it at home, then some people might stay. If they're miserable at home, like I know a lot of people are, then they want to get back. Or maybe there's some, like you say, one day a week or two days a week where you find a compromise. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, your, your point about the in-person teaching thing is, is so is, is so important. I mean, it's it's interesting as you because there is such a trend towards online learning, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of good stuff about online learning. I mean, there is, but the thing, the one thing about online learning is, I mean, you know, real like online universities and schools like that, the dropout rate is just terrible, and the completion rate is awful. So, you know, when you're when your interactions are impoverished like that, even if it's convenient, it's just not something that's kind of present enough so that you follow through with it. Right. Exactly. I mean, there's, those relationships are so important and they really are. They're more than people think. Yeah. Right. No, it is. It is the the role of relationships and and just supporting learning is, is critical. Yeah. Uh, If college were just about learning what is in a textbook, then it really wouldn't require a, a, an institution to do it. No. And I think that, yeah, it's, I think that says something kind of deep about what education is really about, especially higher education, but you know, in general education at all levels, I mean, the stuff that online learning is great for is like, for example, if you want to learn a new software development language, let's say you're a Mm -hmm. programmer and you're, you know, really good at MATLAB and you want to learn Python. Yeah. And I'll go into a class. I don't know. Is it, really worth right if you're motivated if you're super motivated to do it 
and you have a particular targeted goal, you know, in advance what you want to do. And, and it's also something straightforward to learn, like um, uh, something in mathematics or computer science. I think, you know, like Khan Academy or something is great for that. Yeah, exactly. But if you want to understand, like I say, if you want to understand, for example, I mean, psychology is a great example. Like so much of psychology is really about how you think about stuff because there is not, there are some things that are highly quantified, like the vision stuff that you and I have had some experience with, you know, like understanding luminance and mm-hmm. chromaticity and things like that. Or, you know, it's pretty quantitative stuff and you can kind of nail it down to, to pretty specific details. And there's not a lot of debate or discussion, but so much of psychology that is, is really about like how you think about these problems. Yeah, that's and, right. And I think, well, in particularly, there's a big difference between how beginners and experts or people who have been doing it for a while think about problems. It's just a fundamentally different process. So, you know, as a student, you have to be exposed to that and and sort of you know understand that it's not about just single isolated facts, but like you say, yeah, a, a different style of thinking that that you know apprehends these new facts in a different way. You know, and and it's there to sort of guide you as you're going along and learning this stuff. Right. Absolutely. No. And I, I mean, certainly for, for my son, I, I really hoping that in-person teaching is happening this year because <laughs> yeah, he really, he would benefit a lot. I think all those students, he's nine. I mean, students of that age really would benefit a lot from being, being around other students, yeah. being around other kids too. Right. I mean, the teacher is one piece, but like being just around other students is like more important. It's hugely important. Yeah. 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 But we're but we're digressing here. Where where are we for bit. predictions? A little bit. All right. So that was number four of mine. What's your what's your number four? Okay. So my number four is uh, number four is also an old school future prediction. I predict that there are going to be announcements in 2020 that there is going to be a planned Mastodon Park opening. <laughs> okay. okay. That's my announcement. It's like a it's like, like real Mastodons okay. that are like alive. Like Jurassic Real Park. mastodons that have been brought back to life. Yeah. I'm not going to say Jurassic Park because I think that's a little too ambitious, but you know, we could, we could bring back a mastodon. So, so not the biodiversity of, of like a, a full Jurassic era style park, but, but just uh, the mastodons. That's a, I think people would come just for the mastodons. I'm here for the mastodons. I think that's your, I think that's your big moneymaker in, in bringing back extinct animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what do you what do you like about the mastodon over the like say like um, Brachiosaurus or? or well, I mean, I think it'd be. I don't think you could do a dinosaur. I think that would be too hard because I don't think you have. Well, actually, you don't have enough which, DNA. Which, what do I know? What do I know? I don't know if this is feasible or not. It <laughs> seems like it seems like a um, you can get more complete fragments of mastodon DNA. And okay, this is okay. just a prediction. This is a vague prediction. I don't know the details. Oh, it's a pretty specific de- prediction. I mean. The, the the science behind it is a little we're not it's not our area of expertise but no no but I like it I'm the, I'm here for but the I'm excited and nevertheless I'm excited about it I am too I'm excited for it and I think with mastodons you're not going to have the sort of widespread terror of uh, you know velociraptors breaking out of the park right they're slow moving they're clearly easily killable by people. <laughs> Right. Well, clearly, considering people, <laughs> we've extinguished we've extinguished, <laughs> extinguished them, them completely so efficiently. Yeah. 
in long in the past. Yeah. So that would, that yeah. would, <laughs> we kind of owe them. That. Yeah, we do. We, we owe it to, we owe it to the mastodons to bring them back. But would they be sad because it's so hot? Well, um, maybe, maybe, you maybe to, they, you know, they have to be in it has Canada. to be cold. Yeah. They have yeah. To, it has, has to be, to be cold. Like, I think Canada that could be a destination Sweden worth going to. You could get people to pay for a big, for a big trip to go see a mastodon. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I mean, I'd go, I'd go to Sweden to see a mastodon. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? So we'll wait for that. And I'm not talking about it happening. I'm just saying we hear an announcement that there are plans to do yeah, it. Yeah. There's going to be an announcement. Okay. And your final prediction, Joe. Okay. So my final prediction is not really a prediction at all. Unfortunately, apologize for that. Uh, but I, you know, I was just reflecting on the predictions for this year and our 2020s decade predictions. And I'm just going to reiterate this point, which I just really struck me as been thinking about innovations and the intersection of cognitive science and technology and and you know futurism, the the future of our world, and just reflecting on the fact that. I can well let's put it in terms of a prediction. I will continue to predict that people will have a hard time working together. And that's going to cause problems. <laughs> I mean, so many of our technologies are not working in the way that we want them to because people can't get it together to agree to work together to just bring things about in a smart way that will make everybody's life better. And if we, we just need to get better at that. We need to be better. And I'm predicting that it's not going to be a great year for that, 2021. But I think more people will start to realize that it's in, in specific ways that it's important. I'm thinking again about, you know, we were talking about the, the self-driving cars and just the need for standards and practices around how those cars interact so that we can all get to work faster that our goods and services can arrive to our houses faster and we, you know, fewer people die. So what are the standards and practices that we need in, in, um, dialogue? Yeah. Good question. Good question. So, I mean, online is, is a big topic for online stuff, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we saw what happened with parlor, uh, mm -hmm, that, right. That, they uh, stopped, uh, it stopped being in the Apple app store. Yeah, App Store got, you know, shut it down. Google Store shut it down. Amazon and Google Services both cut them off. So, I don't know. I, I, I just, actually, coincidentally, just downloaded Parler um, two days ago for the first time just to check it out, see what people were talking about. And uh, so, it's on my phone. I could check to see if it's still working or not. But anyway, the point is there that we need to have a framework for our online conversations because so many of our conversations now are online and there's a lot of it is driven by engagement algorithms that are merely set up to increase the profitability of the companies that want to sell ads to you. And so they're just driving more and more and more engagement with no thought to like what the value of that engagement is. And I guess it would be, great to have some standards and practices and understandings around what we want those spaces to look like and how we can make them look like that. And I think cognitive science has a big role to play in that. 
boy, what a mess. What a mess. It's that's, that's the big problem, isn't it? It is. It is. I think more people need to, there needs to be more energy and attention, like grant funding and uh, just energy of smart people thinking about that kind of stuff. You know, how do we solve those, some of those problems? Um, you know, it was not that long ago when I started working in, in the tech industry in like the mid 2000s that like we were thinking of these algorithms, the ability to like have an algorithm that can tell you whether somebody is going to take a specific action uh, on a website or in an app as being like an unqualified good, like, like just would help us provide better services, better technologies to people because it's what right. they want. You know, just give people what they want faster. Turns out, guess what? That is dumb. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, just dumb. Yeah. What's your what's your number five? Well, I'm still thinking about how how dumb that is. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's 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 just naive, right? Is what it is. It's 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 kind of wild when you think about it. That like our smartest minds, some of our smartest minds, like at least in like a book smarts way, are spending their energy and attention hacking your consciousness to drive more ads into your brain. That's right. It's be, it's become uh, it's become a serious science to be able to hack somebody's attention and and alter their beliefs. Yep. Yeah, and and for no reason other than just you know the gain you know specific commercial and I guess now political political gain. All right. So my number five is is um probably a little less practical, but I think nevertheless inevitable. My number five is that Amazon is going to buy Kansas. They're going to build a system of hyperloops across the country and uh, make distribution perfectly efficient. So you're just going to have like a pneumatic tube in your house. You're like, Amazon, I so, want, so I want new well, towels. No, maybe not to, well, you know, that's the end. That's maybe the end goal. Yeah, I was just thinking hypertubes to go from. So you just find the geographical center of the country because that's most efficient, and send things to and from it. Just think hyperloops. You know, get you know big ones for big shipments. You could have like you know two hour from Kansas to New York shipping. Yeah, again, everybody thought Elon Musk was crazy when he started the Boring Company and started digging yep. all these holes. You're like, well, no, it's not. It's kind of not that crazy. I mean, yeah, this is the new this is the new rush for trains. I think there'll be hyperloops everywhere, guaranteed. <laughs> it, but but if, in in twenty twenty one, I mean, that's a lot of digging. All right. Well, I'll scale back and I'll say there's going to be an announcement that Amazon is planning to buy some land somewhere in Kansas. Okay, like a big part. Dis- let's, let's make it a bold prediction. It's at least 100, you know, like a hundred thousand acres. It's like a right, big, like plot. big ran- like a gigantor space and then build hyperloops everywhere i like it i like it they're definitely doing that yep just for i mean it'll be just an initial one trillion dollar investment and then it'll pay off (laughs) over the years that's right well they have all the money i think that's another prediction by the the end of the year all of the money will be in the hands of that's right nobody else will have any money elon musk uh you know and like three or four yeah. other tech, you know, giants. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that's my. Those are my predictions. Uh, do you want to do a quick review of your predictions? Um. Sure. Yeah. I guess so. Number one was the pandemic. Pandemic will be squashed. This will have consequences for our brains and the way that we interact with people. Uh, cognitive science takes over, just really becomes super prominent and acknowledged to be super important in a way that we haven't seen before. There'll be at least three new algorithms that get reimbursed directly for reading scans and radiology. So it'll have big impacts in the way that stuff is done in medicine. Uh, work from home is here to stay, but it will not be so straightforward. There'll be some, some topics and we will continue to have tr struggles working together and coordinating our innovation efforts. All right. My five are number one, coronavirus will be eliminated by the time it's nice outside. Number two, we're going to see a, we're going to see an advancement in new crowded parties. Number yes. three, jetpack. We'll see a jetpack of some form. Number, number four, Mastodon park. And number five, Amazon buys Kansas and builds Hyperloops. All right, so we've like got it. some some more serious ones in here with some more uh, crazy speculative ones. Um, nevertheless, all of these are going to come true. I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I uh, I think it's good, man. I think we're gonna. I think we're. I think our predictions are are, are perfect. Well, are you looking again. forward to twenty twenty one or or? Are you of the mindset that it just couldn't be worse? Um, We've hit bottom. I I don't know. I mean, yeah, I am looking forward to the future for sure in a way that I haven't in a while. Um, I do feel like it could be a, a rough few months here. I mean, the pandemic is currently at its worst mm -hmm. phase to date, and it could get worse still mm -hmm. before it gets better. Probably will get worse before it gets better we're at like four thousand people a day dying right now yeah i saw that yeah could that be five thousand six thousand seven thousand when the when the christmas numbers come back which is like in like another two three weeks but then it, yeah then it's going to get much much better when hopefully like the worst case scenario is that there's a mutation and the uh, the vaccine doesn't the work on it don't work anymore yeah, so we need to get it. We need to get this thing squashed before that happens, because that will eventually happen, right? If it, but it's allowed to to go out there long enough. So, yeah, we need to deal with that. Well, I am optimistic about twenty twenty one. Yeah, me too. Me too. Thanks for listening to us again. And um, if you need to reach us, uh, please contact us on Facebook or Twitter, where. Uh, Joe, what's our Twitter handle? Our Twitter handle is at NationCog, or you can just look up CogNation on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is JLHardyPhD, so at JLHardyPhD. Always like to get those mentions. If you have anything to say, you want to be on the show, you want to talk about something, you want us to talk about something, let us know. There's also email, uh, which is CogNationPodcast all one word, at gmail.com. All right. Thanks for listening.